Good morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Welcome all our visitors. our service this morning. I was a bit surprised. I assumed that maybe there would be more of our people missing because it is, after all, holiday time. This would be a holiday weekend when often we travel and we go visit friends and family and things like that. So I'm grateful for your presence this morning and it's good to be here with you to worship. <clears throat> Brother Kendall is up in Elkhart preaching and Ken and his family um, are in Wisconsin I believe probably visiting family up there. <clears throat> I was um, blessed by the songs. That last song I always liked the tempo of that song and the, the upbeat um, feel to that, to that song and the message in that song because it feels so positive, it feels so right in that we, as God's children, uh, do, we have something to offer and we send that light. And then the last verse caught my attention where it says, um, let's not grow weary in doing this, but let's, let's do it with zeal and with fervency. So, I, I trust that today um, you can be encouraged to do that. <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is A More Excellent Way. And I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be reading a portion of that and going into chapter 13. And while you're doing that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me for this time together in God's word. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just pause briefly here in your presence, seeking your spirit to come in a new and a fresh way this morning to expound to us the truth of your word to help us understand its truth and to enable us to apply it then to our lives. And Father, I personally just ask for grace and mercy as I preach. <clears throat> help me to be faithful <clears throat> to the text and to clearly speak this morning. I pray for all those who aren't here from our congregation and um, who are probably traveling. I just pray uh, safety and if they're worshiping somewhere this morning that you would meet their needs spiritually as well. So we commit them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> The message today formulated in my own <clears throat> wrestlings with this subject. 
I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but occasionally, periodically, it seems like God presses his finger onto an area of your life and it seems like it, it, it sort of sits there and he just keeps massaging that area until you sort of respond to it. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat somehow is uh, acting up. So if you bear with me. But that's sort of where the, the message came from this morning and it, um, Lord willing, it'll be a two-part message. And... Um, and hopefully we can together learn some things. The gist of the message, the, the theme of the message is genuine Christian love. And the title is taken directly from the text. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, um, verse 31, <clears throat> Paul is telling the Corinthian church to covet earnestly the best gift. And then he says, and yet... Show I unto you a more excellent way. And that excellent way he's referring to is to love. And that's the area that I feel like God has been massaging in my own heart to, to just work out some of those kinks. And he's still in process. And I'm grateful for that. And, and just studying and... Um, praying over this, it just really spoke to me personally in a lot of ways. So I had to think about the fact that as humans, God created us to respond to love. I don't think there's a one of us sitting here today that doesn't desire to be loved some of us may reject love. Some of us may find it hard to love for various reasons. But all of us respond to genuine love. And all of us can detect when it's genuine, right? I think we can. And all of us can detect when it's not genuine, right? Sometimes it takes a little longer to catch on, but eventually we sort of catch on whether or not it is genuine love. Love, someone has said, love is the most valuable thing to the human soul. And if we're not loved, if we haven't experienced love very much, it can affect us in our character. We all know of studies or we know of people maybe that obviously had not experienced love. And if you're involved at Cornerstone Children's uh, Ministry, some of you will probably know this a whole lot better than some of us that aren't so involved there. But you see it sometimes in those children where they crave love. They're not, they haven't felt it from their homes or their parents. And so they want love, and they, they begin to act in certain ways so that they could receive love, maybe. And it develops certain character traits in us when we are deficient in love. Some of those can be pretty um, 
I don't know what the word is, pretty unhandy sometimes when we, when we sense that someone is deficient in love and their character is such that it really sort of grates on us. Do you know what, you know what I'm talking about? And so it's easy to reject those people because it doesn't feel good, like the, the interaction doesn't feel comfortable. But really what they want is for you to love them genuinely and to, to experience from you what they think they deserve or what they want. And so it happens with us sometimes. Love is powerful. Um, I had to think, I often think of this, and I think I've given this example before, but I often think about the little fable where the north wind and the sun were in an argument. Do you know which story I'm talking about? And the north wind, in his arrogance... And, you know, they're personified, so they're talking. The sun and the north wind are talking back and forth. And the north wind, in his surly, blustery arrogance, says to the sun, he says, do you see that traveler, that man walking down there? Do you see him? And he says, I will guarantee you that I can make that man take his coat off and that you won't be able to do that. And the son says, that's fine, go ahead. I, I'm saying it in my own words. And so the north wind, and everybody knows what the north wind is. It's cold, and it's strong, and it's unhandy, and it's whatever. And the north wind begins to blow and to, to whip up a storm. And the traveler, they're watching the traveler, and, and the traveler grabs his coat and tightens it around himself and grabs his hat and he's hanging on for dear life and he blows and he blows and he blows more and nothing that the north wind can do makes the traveler take his coat off. Finally, after some time, he has to admit that he failed and he turns to the sun and he says, okay, I guess you, it's your And the sun just quietly smiles and begins to shine. And after about a half a mile, the Traveler opens his coat, gets a little bit more comfortable, keeps on shining warmly, and finally the, takes his coat off. That illustrates a little bit about the power of love, how it affects, how we affect people. People can detect if we have genuine love or not. In our passage, and we'll read it here in a little bit, in our passage, the Apostle Paul is referring to a slightly different kind of love than what I was talking about. What I was talking about is a natural humanistic or human response to natural love that we feel. But in our passage, is in the, in the old King James, it says charity. And he's saying, this kind of love, this love, it is not just your average human kind of natural love, reciprocal love, giving and taking of love in a relationship, but it is supernatural in that it comes through Christ into our hearts, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And I'd just like for us to think about that just as natural love, when it's withheld or when it's given, 
affects us. So this Christian love, when it's nurtured and given, does the same thing, or when it's not nurtured and when it's withheld, does the very same thing that the natural love does. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Christian love, just like it is in the natural world, when I as a Christian act in such a way that says, that, that betrays my Christianity, it betrays the trust that you have in me and it causes division and strife in the body and it de- debilitates us from being what we just sang about, effective for the kingdom. That's one way it affects us. Natural love, when it's withheld for too long, cripples and debilitates the human soul, the human spirit. And so in the spiritual sense, too, when we, when we don't develop genuine Christian love and live out that, that Christian love towards others, then we cripple those that we come in contact with and we cripple ourselves. It has that effect. Let's read. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse 27 of chapter 12. And I would like to read down through um, verse 8 of chapter 13. Verse 27 of chapter 12. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. <clears throat> so I want, you to, I want you to hear the words that the Apostle Paul is, is using. He says, now you are the body of Christ. Remember, I just got done talking about how it actually affects us physically when love is withheld or when we don't love well, don't love others well, how it affects us. Well, here he's saying, he's reminding the church in Corinth, he says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Well, that simply means that each one of you is a member of that body. <clears throat> and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And then he, has, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers... And are all workers of miracles have all the gifts of healing? And do all speak with tongues? And do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And then he moves into chapter 13, which we're very familiar with. And he says this, he says, In light of what I just got done saying, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Because you see, charity suffereth long and is kind. And, and charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. 
doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And it bears all things, and it believes all things, and it hopes all things, and it endureth all things. You see, brothers and sisters, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And we're going to stop there. So this morning, I'd just invite us to think about the more excellent way. And I'd like for us to think about it personally, as individuals. And then I'd like for us to also consider what it means corporately as a church. And maybe just a little bit of history or background on this church at Corinth. When this letter was written, it was five years after Paul had actually established this church. So the Corinthian church was very young, like five years old. And already they were having issues. If you read the entire book of 1 Corinthians, the first 11 and 12 chapters are full of Paul admonishing them and teaching them, saying, no, this is wrong, you're doing it wrong, this is what God expects of us, this is what Christ has done in you, and so then live according to that. They They were not even taking communion properly. Like, they were... They were clumping together. There was the rich were over here having their communion. This is in the church. They were over here having their communion the way they wanted it. There was poor over here that didn't even have anything to offer in the communion process. And it was just sort of divisive there. They were arguing about gifts. They thought that in verse in chapter 12 they were talking about tongues. Like that was really something. I mean, if you could speak in tongues, you were something in that church. Just a lot of different things that Paul had to address in this first letter to this young church in Corinth. And it all stems back, and he says in chapter 8, that you're puffed up. You're proud. You think you are something. And when that happens in my own heart, in our hearts then love is squelched. The the church, the the, the area that Corinth was at, and I didn't put a a map up, but I looked at some maps, is located in a tiny little piece of land between two seas, two oceans, two two bodies of water. It's, It's like four miles wide, and it's this little, this little area that connects two larger land masses. And right in in that little area there, about four miles wide, is the city of Corinth. That area is exactly where most of the ships that wanted to go to this sea up here would cross. They they actually built uh, mechanisms to carry ships across the land and drop them in the water over here. Because otherwise they'd have to sail all the way around and come all the way back up through here and then than get to the ports that they wanted to. Well, here they had four miles to cross the land, and they they figured out how to do it. And so this city of Corinth was established there. It it was a divisive city. Like, it was full of diversity. Um, One commentator said that people didn't come to Corinth to stay, establish themselves. They came 
to become something. And then once they became something, they would often leave. In other words, people came there to become wealthy. People came there to become educated and knowledgeable. And then they would go back to their, other, their previous homes, and that's where they would then flourish. But this was so full of different cultures and people moving in, and it was, it was a morally corrupt city. And these people were arrogant. Like these, they weren't, it wasn't the riffraff necessarily. These were elite people that would come to this, to this city and they were thinkers and they were doers and they were movers and they were shakers and they were getting things. But they were also very morally corrupt in so many ways. And I just found it interesting that on, on Paul's second missionary journey, God moved him to go to that place to establish a church in that city. Think about that. Like in our Mennonite thinking, we're like, eh, ain't gonna work. God said, yes, I'm gonna use the Corinthian church to spread the gospel, and I want you to go and teach them about me. And Paul did. He established a church right there in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, but that church was established. Five years later, we have this letter that Paul writes, and he says, you know what? I'm hearing that there's divisions. There's arguments, you guys aren't getting along, you're doing things that are contrary to the spirit that is in you. You're living contrarily to that, and it's causing issues for you personally and also in the church. I'd like to just look briefly at this whole thing of love and the love that Paul is talking about here in this particular chapter, in chapter 13, the more excellent way. I'd like to define that word. A lot of people would define it as agape love, which is not incorrect, but th th there's some argument about that because agape can also be applied to, to other things as well. So I would just say that, in my mind, Paul is, is saying that this, is, this, this love is actually the love that comes from Christ to us. And it is the love that, that he has for us and that we have for him. And out of that love comes love for others. A sacrificial kind of love. A love that, that looks at other people as Christ sees them and lives for that. It's that kind of love. So it's whether, it's, whether it's your neighbors or whether it's here at church or the people at work, it's that kind of love that Paul is Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and love that Paul is talking about, I think my mic is cutting out. Okay, maybe I'll just try to stay behind this one. But that's the kind of love that Paul was referring to. It's the love, first of all, it's the love of God in Jesus who came down to reconcile us back to him. Think about that. Jesus didn't come down in his power. He didn't come down to show us his power. He didn't come down to, in a powerful, mighty way. He came down because he loved us. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. 
Secondly, it is a personal love that is part of the transforming power of Christ in us. It transforms our heart into the heart that characterizes Christ. It transforms our character from a selfish, self-seeking, proud, impatient, envious person to one that loves others more than ourselves. It transforms us into a sacrificial kind of person who loves others and loves our brothers and sisters and would die for them. I was reading in a book and um, there was an illustration given in that book about two missionaries that were over in Asia somewhere, this was some years ago, and they were establishing churches and were very successful. And um, after about a year and a half of establishing a number of churches, they had decided to gather as many of those church members together as they could at one Sunday afternoon and just have a question and answer time uh, with them to answer any kind of biblical, theological, or church questions, whatever. And during the course of that question and answer time, there was a lady in the back of the, the group that raised her hand and she said, brothers, I just want to know one thing. How can I know if you really truly love me? And their response was, I thought, wise. They said, you know what? We have to spend some time praying and searching our own hearts to see if we truly do before we can give a correct answer. We can glibly say we love each other. And that woman was obviously interested in knowing if they were genuine in their, in their love and care. And they were very careful not to be glib about what they were saying. They wanted to be sure in their own heart that they were a loving kind of person. That this love that Christ had produced in them was effectual in them. Jesus himself gives us this definition with his own character of love, and then he commands his disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, to love one another just as he had loved them. He commands us to do that as his disciples. He was talking to his disciples there in John. But he demonstrates, he gives us the definition, he gives his own example as a definition of this love. And then he demonstrated love washing their feet. He demonstrated that love by washing their feet. And then I would like to say that that definition of, the, the definition of the love that I'm talking about this morning is defined specifically and in real time by you and me. Because, you know, he says, as I have laid down my life for you, so lay down your life for one another. In 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how we know love. That's how I begin to understand that Christ's love is actually in me. And those are the things that God's been 
just massaging in my own heart is like, how much do you love me? And how is that evident in your life? This love is supernatural and this love is powerful. And when it's activated in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our affections. And we become the kind of person that, that people begin to understand that there is genuine love there. But there is something that we have to contend with. There is the possibility for us to lose this love. There is a real possibility for us to lose this love. And it's what was happening in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, the people in that church were beginning to lose their love. They were beginning to lose their love for Christ. And as a result of that, they were focusing on other things. And they began to lose their love for each other. And they began to bite and devour one another, as Scripture says. They began to, to move away from each other in isolation and arguing about doctrinal things. And so there is that possibility that we can lose this love. There's a deceptive deceptiveness in this process of losing love. So I'd like for us to go through the first three verses of chapter 13 and look at some specific things that Paul the Apostle points out as we think about our love and the possibility of us losing it and what that looks like. The first three verses say this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm going to use the word love, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. The first thing we want to look at is without Christian love, any kind of gifts that I have, and he specifically says gifts of tongues. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, now just catch that. He's saying that I can be very spiritual and I can be such a person that I can actually speak in tongues. I have never spoken in tongues. I think there is something like speaking in tongues. I think we need to be careful how we approach that, but I believe there is something like that and it is valid. And the Corinthian church was putting a lot of emphasis on that. Some of them were anyway, as proving that they were truly spiritual people. And, 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 and Paul says, even if I can speak with the most angelic, heavenly voice, or even just natural ability of a man to communicate clearly, and I don't have love, I become what? What is that? What is that? I threatened to bring a, a, a tin pan up here and start banging on it. It is annoying. It's a hollowing. It, 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 it becomes grating on the spiritual nervous system of those around us. When, when 
when I am that kind of person, when I say that I am this, but there's something not quite right, and my love isn't genuine, I can have all the good words, I can know all the things, I can say good things, but if my love isn't genuine, and people don't feel it, then it's like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It becomes very, very annoying. There was something else that I came across that we need to think about with this whole thing. When Paul used that word, those words, sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, that was intentional. And I didn't realize this until just yesterday when I was studying that in Corinth and the surrounding hills and the surrounding mountains of that city, there were all sorts of heathen temples of worship. And at certain times when it was required that you worship the God or when you went to, to worship that God, you, they, would, they would make all sorts of clanging Sound. They'd have cymbals and they would chant and they would make all sorts of noise. And it reminds you of the time when Elisha was on Mount Carmel and, and, and the, the, the prophets of Baal, they just went besides themselves trying to wake up these gods that were supposed to help them. It's that picture. When we are that kind of person, We are actually being idolatrous because it's about us. Our words, our, our, our tongue, our things, it's about us more than it is about other people or about God. Think about that. And it displays an idolatrous heart. Paul nailed it. Paul nailed it. He says that's what happens. Not only is it annoying, can you imagine being a Christian in that city and whatever time they decide to worship, it's just like noisy. All so that they can have the approval of their God. And so it is with us when we do it for approval of men and approval of God so that we're, we feel valued, so that we feel like we're something and we don't do it to edify because we love well. Does that make sense? We become that kind of a person. The second thing we want to look at is without love, my knowledge, my prophetic wisdom, and my faith are nothing. Without love, my knowledge, my prophetic wisdom, and my faith are nothing. There are those that spend a lot of time becoming knowledgeable in spiritual things. And there are those who are prophetic. They are gifted. And again, these are sort of gifts that Paul is talking about. And I want to just make something very clear. There's nothing wrong with learning and being knowledgeable in scripture, in doctrine, theology, you name it. And there's nothing wrong with having the gift of prophetic speaking. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with a strong faith, a faith that, it says, can move mountains, a faith that is compelling, a faith that people look at and say, wow, I'd like to have that kind of faith. 
There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But when all of that is done and portrayed without love, I become nothing. I become zero. It profits nothing. It doesn't do me any good, and it doesn't do the people any good that I am trying to disciple. There were people in the Corinthian church that were very knowledgeable. And evidently there were people in the Corinthian church that had prophetic gifts. And it was attractive, but they began to do it for their own purpose, for their own glorification, for their own ego. And I suppose we can think of people like that. And I'd ask myself some hard questions with those things. Alexander Strout says this, knowledge without love inflates the ego and it deceives the mind. It can lead to intellectual snobbery, an attitude of mockery and making fun of others' views, a spirit of contempt for those with lesser knowledge and a demeaning way of dealing with people who disagree with you. Knowledge without love does those things. So Paul is telling the Corinthians church, I can do all of those things, I can be all of that. But if I don't have love, then it cancels out anything and everything that I'm trying to do. It becomes zero. I'm of no value and of no help to anyone. Number three, without love, all my moral and virtuous living gains me nothing. Without love, all of my moral and virtuous living gains me nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. It gives me no collateral in eternity. It is possible, brothers and sisters, to live in such a moral in virtuous way, by giving up my time, giving up my money, my talents, being dedicated and committed, even dying for the cause. And yet, if love isn't part of the motivating factors, it gains me nothing. These things which, while they are all good, And if we love well, they do merit something. But outside of love, they merit nothing. I found this one probably to be maybe the most difficult to wrap my head around. Because part of me wants to say, yes, but those things are good. Like, I can understand the whole gift thing. I can understand that gifts can, can, can get carried away. You can get all carried away with the gifts and the abilities that you have. You get proud and arrogant with those. But these these are good things. These are virtues. And yet Paul says you can do all that. You can even die for the cause. You can be committed to the church and you can die for the faith. And if it's done without love, it profits nothing. I don't even know how to explain all of that. But it gets real sticky. And it, and it touches way down deep in the core of my heart when I think about those things. 
I can, I can die a martyr's death simply so that I can be recorded in the annals of history as he died a martyr's death. Or I can die because I love Christ and I love you. It's that simple and it's that hard sometimes. It's that simple and it's that hard sometimes. Paul nails it and he drives it down deep. No matter what we portray, if we want to know if we have that kind of love, no matter what we portray to those around us and all the apparent virtuous living that we do, if in my private life I am impatient, I'm unkind, I'm easily provoked or angered, I'm easily hurt, I'm disgruntled and proud, and I'm puffed up and I'm untruthful, and I draw attention to myself, and all of those things listed from verse 4 to 8, if I'm any of those things, then my love has the danger of being disingenuine or ungenuine. And it's, there's a danger of losing my love. And in closing, I'd just like for us to think about two passages, two other passages in Scripture. And both of these are very sobering passages. One is in Matthew chapter 7. It's familiar to us. Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 21, it says, And not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? That's, that's miracles. These people were, were, they were, they were at it. Like, they were getting it done. These Christians. I mean, they were prophesying. They were doing miracles. How do you reconcile that? And Jesus looks at them and says, I, I don't know you. I do not know you. I would suggest this morning that part of that is the knowing part is the connection of the love of Christ in us and how it affects the way we live among us. when I am compelled by the love that Christ has for me, that I may know that love and its power, that is what motivates us. Because then you, go, you read on further and he, he addresses those that, he blesses those that were doing similar things. And they said, well, we don't, like, I don't even remember doing those things. That's not what my focus was on. It's not what I was focusing on. I, I did that out of who I was genuinely. And Jesus said, you can enter into the joy of your Lord. Come, come. The difference is where the focus was, what the motivation was. The motivation was love versus self-exaltation and wanting to be something, perhaps. The final one is found in Revelations chapter 2, another familiar one. He says this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, 
who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know your works and thy labor and thy patience. Just, just listen to the list that Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. He says, you, I know these things. These are good things. Thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear evil. Love's not iniquity, but delights in truth. That's from our passage in 1 Corinthians. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, delighting in truth. They were, they were about all of that. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Vigorously involved in outreach and ministry. And then he says this, nevertheless, from all of that, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove the candlestick out of his place, except I'll repent. It is possible, brothers and sisters, for us to lose our first love as individuals. And it affects us deeply, personally. It affects me personally. And what's, so, what's so, so subtly deceptive about it is that, and what, I, what, what really would wrap this up in my mind is that we know that, but then we go back to the whole list of things that we are doing. And we say, yeah, but look, I'm doing all this, and I'm doing all that. I'm, like, God, doesn't that count for something? I, I, and I know my prayer life just really stinks right now. Like, I, I, I'm not praying much. I don't really care to pray. Like, I'm not even reading much. But God, I'm, I'm busy here. I'm doing this. I mean, there's good things. And he says, I would rather that you have a genuine heart of love and live out of that so that people will definitely see that you are mine. And it's sobering for me to think about that because that's where I find my mind and my heart traveling. But God, look at all of the things I'm busy doing. And at the end of the day, he says, I don't care. Your love for me is waning. Repent, or I'm going to take your candlestick out. And we can't send the light if we don't have a candlestick. I don't know where you're at personally. But like I said, it's been a process for me. And it continues to be a process. And I want the process to continue in my own heart. 
And perhaps you find it the same way. Shall we pray? Father, sometimes we don't even recognize that our love for you is waning. Sometimes we don't even know if you love us, we have strayed away so far and we have lost focus. And so help us, Father, to somehow give us grace to turn our hearts and our spiritual faces and our eyes to you and to seek you to once again live in the love that comes from you and allow that to change the character of our hearts so that people will be drawn to you. And however that works in our hearts individually, Father, would you be faithful in moving and doing that to us? We commit ourselves to you as your children, all of us here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.